0: Dear Mo Babies, on this week's episode, we have a special guest joining us, Kelly Gorsuch, who is a business owner, uh, mentor, and crazy cool salon owner as well. Welcome, Kelly.
1: Yay. <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> I'm your host, Annie MacArthur, and I also have my co host with me this week, Russell Mays, and let's just jump right into it.
1: You know, I was really excited when Annie told me that we were going to get to interview you because I've been. Listening to your podcast and following you from afar, so I was I was excited about this. I'm sure. Let's set him up and just knock him out of the park and see what he's got to say. And I think, yes, being that you've trained so many people, you know, and brought so many people up in the industry, this could really give some insight to the new to the industry first five years of their career and beauty school students. So Absolutely. I'm excited to have you.
2: Definitely. Yeah, we're we're knocking on the door of 30 years now, so. Oh, <laughs> Um, it's, it's the downward portion of the career though. so how <laughs> so, much with work. Ward.
1: Well, maybe you can coach me in the downward part of it. We'll help everybody else in the up and coach me on the down.
2: <laughs> I, mean, I feel like it's just as important how to like leave this industry gracefully as, as it took to like, learn how to get in it and become a professional and then how to maintain that. And so, you know, I think there's, I, for me, it's been certainly fun. I don't, you know, I don't know where it's going, but it's been a, a fun journey.
0: Yeah, you've had a really interesting career, at least from my perspective, because we got to meet each other when we were both sitting on the council with LBP for the Empowerment Project, which was really cool. But you, at that time, I believe, owned multiple salons, restaurants, like you were like branched into multiple industries at that time. Would you care to share a little bit about your background kind of in total?
2: Um, yeah, we could talk about it a little bit. So I, I think that's probably what I'm best known for is not being able to focus. If so, <laughs> and, and and it's illustrated by like, my history in business. You know, like, when at that time, I was, I think I owned a construction company, I owned that restaurant, cocktail bar, mm-hmm. salons, barbershops, and product line, some other stuff in there. And then over the years, you know, I've been trying to work my way away from like I've always been the salons and barbershops are my bread and butter. That's kind of the lane i focus in. That's the lane I came off in. And then that allowed me to do kind of all of these other things and just kind of play around. Like, you know, in, in the process right now, was, we didn't have that that restaurant very long. Um, that was kind of an upscale restaurant and that went down in a hurry. And but the funny thing is, I'm getting ready to try to dabble again in the cafe we're in the process of doing a, a coffee cafe with cocktail bar and with an outdoor beer and wine garden so three different concepts but all connected on all connected to our salon and barber shop in richmond virginia so i'm still doing things but i i kind of think it's a different space than when i was younger um the space that i was in when i was younger it was mainly it wasn't always just just the money but the money had a big I was trying to do industries where I, I made money. And, uh, and now I'm kind of doing it from a different perspective. And I guess it's kind of circles back to what we were just talking about, how it's how you transition in your career. But I think now I'm looking at it as what can I do for my, my village or my local community? Mm-hmm. How can I best impact them? And that's that can't you have to, you can't lose money because then you can't do anything else. So you have to be able to make money. Um, Because otherwise, you're not going to be able to give a good product or or have good jobs. So you have to be able to 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 make money. But at the same time, I think my focus is now trying to see what I can provide a neighborhood, and and then that, and then how those things interact with each other. So I've kind of got these weird things where I do this, and then I'm I was quickly getting away from labor just because the pandemic freaked me out a little bit
1: Um, Mm -hmm. because
2: most of most of what I was in was high labor. And as you know, the salon industry was hit particularly hard. Absolutely. So now I'm trying to, in order to make that more solid, I'm trying to add stuff that isn't so high in labor. Because if we go through this again, I need stuff that can, can keep the other things afloat. Um, so it's a different perspective and, <laughs> and it took you know, the pandemic to make me think about it in that way.
1: So, One thing that you had mentioned was, you know, you have to make money or you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. So if we think about this from a a beauty school student perspective, I'm a beauty school student. I've gone into this because I want to be an artist. I want to create. I want to be creative and and be the man, so to speak. So how would you educate a young, new to you stylist, just walked out of beauty school, how to focus on making money without losing the, the artistic expression that they have come into the industry to express. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's two different ways to look at that. One is it, they can be separate, but they're the same. So you can't look at them at the same time. You have to be able to make it more binary and, and really think about it from two different that you should be educated financially speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. There's a concept with artists where they come into our field and they believe they go. I'm an artist. I don't. You know, the money's going to come, or like it's not mm-hmm. about the money for me. Well, yeah. the truth of the matter is you're not going to make an awful lot of art without making money, mm-hmm. being able to provide for your family, and not. And honestly, you can't be one of the best at any industry and not be making enough money to where you don't have to think about money.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Like there's the idea that money is is bad is. It's perpetuated. I don't know why, but like, I'd much rather the good people have it. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to make it this negative thing, well, all the bad people are going to have all the money. Well, that's not where I want money. And then if you're looking at, if you're if you're getting into this, the first thing you got to do is, is skill up in a hurry. You got to get as good as you can. The, the The last thing I would think about would be money. It would be just to skill up as fast as humanly possible. The one thing is, if you're in the top 1% of any industry, you're going to make money. Mm-hmm. Eventually, someone's going to, if you're in the top 1%, someone along the way will teach you how to make money. And Absolutely. it doesn't, I always say the top 1% because it doesn't take very long to get there. In our industry, you know, most people are out of it in five years, yeah. 10% yeah. last 10, you know, 1% retire. Like, you know, you're, you, it doesn't take long to get to the top.
0: Yeah, I, I agree so, with that, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so when we're talking about skill up, we're talking about fundamental skills that can earn you a living from working behind the chair in a salon, not necessarily artistic skills or things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say, art, like, leave the art the second. You know, yep. um, you know, first, learn the, the skills that are boring. Yeah. If you yes. want to make money, learn the, the skills that are boring. Because I'll tell you, and this is from my own perspective, too, is like when I got into the industry, um, I went to a top school in the world and they beat it in our head that we were going to be the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And then you came out and you didn't know how to do anything It's because we were too focused on the fun skills and not and not the boring skills. And the boring skills are what give you the ability to have confidence, the ability to be able to charge for a living. Mm-hmm. And then focusing on those skills, man, like doing to where you can't miss, you know, really at the end of the day, just like right, grinding down on them until you can't miss.
0: Absolutely. It makes me so, think of this time that Russell and I were having lunch together one day when I was visiting him down in LA and we were at a restaurant and we were kind of looking around and Russell was like, man, there's a lot of long layers of balayage in here. And we talked, do you remember this?
1: No, (laughs) but it sounds like something I'd say. Maybe not quite so eloquently.
0: Yeah, (laughs) but I remember he was saying something and obviously it stuck with me. But he was like, when you're out like this, especially in your local community, which is like what you were saying, Kelly, like you have to be able to provide to your local community because that's where you're working. And so Russell was said that, you know, you got to look around at the, the restaurant that we're at. What What do you see in here? There's a lot of long layers. There's a lot of balayage and there were a lot of bobs. And he's like, that's what you have to practice in the beginning because this is your local community. This is what they're they're wearing and doing. And it's like, you have to take a look around what people are wearing, learn those fundamental skills so you can be able to provide them. Then you can work on the things that you really want to work on, because those are going to be your, that that's your clientele. That's your basis is the people that are surrounding you. It's Just senseless.
1: If, it's yep. senseless for me to learn a Sassoon five-point haircut and be excellent and a perfectionist at it if no one's ever going to wear it. Exactly. Yeah,
2: so. I used to be really good at stuff I would do once a year. Yeah. You know, like yeah. When, I was, when I was first getting going, I was amazing at the haircuts I would do once a year. <laughs> of course, I would take the prettiest person in my clientele and put the weirdest haircut on them, and then I'd never see them again. You know, and yeah. so slowly but surely I got rid of the the best clients, you know, yeah. with haircuts that looked amazing, but were hard to style, you know, yeah. and like, you know, when I look in the local community, so now I'm not in Washington, D.C. as much. I'm almost always in Richmond, Virginia. When I walk around, there's a lot of the like what I would call progressive hairdressing or like, craft hairdressing. And and the problem is you don't see a lot of people that look good on the street. Mm-hmm. So. At the, at the end of the day, what does that actually provide the community? Yep. Exactly. Right? So you're, you're cutting for your own ego and, and or like for someone else's ego, right? Like I'm on this new thing where I'm like, man, where can, we've gotten brainwashed as an industry, right? Yep. Be, here's the thing. When you get into this industry, you knew what looked good. Yeah. In, you inherently knew what looked good. You were smart enough and and you had enough of a, an eye to be able to know what you like. And then the industry wipes that out. It, it, it confuses you. And then you end up doing work that's trendy or isn't going to be around long because they're, they're confusing you and making you feel like that's what looks good. But you deep down know it's not what looks good. And the reason, and this is how I know it doesn't look good, because it's gone in five years. Yeah, yeah. If it looked yeah. that good, it wouldn't be gone. Mm-hmm. Right, And and so we have to be careful about where we put our own. And this is on us individually. You have to be able to trust that, not listen to the gurus and be able to forge your own path, which is the whole reason we all got into the industry to begin with mm-hmm. Add our own language, our own voice.
1: Well, I think that sometimes we get so caught up in the quagmire of excellence and technique that we forget about suitability for the client and suitability for the hair that we're working on and I'm telling yeah. you right now all my bob clients their hair wears so much better and is so much easier to style if I razor it or point cut it versus cutting it with a pair of super sharp blunt scissors and try to make that as perfect as possible huh. cuz it only looks good when they leave me the next time I see them it's flipping out to one side or shifting or their hair has a a wave so know what works for the longevity don't get caught up in the, in the ego of precision and perfectionism.
2: Right. I, I haven't cut a blunt haircut since hair school, Yeah, since hair school. It's been yeah. almost 30 years. Oh, well, that's not, I mean, that's not entirely true. I've cut blunt, <laughs> but I'm always going to stick my blades in it a little bit because I know how much better that makes it wear for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And the difference too, is like when you're in hair and they can't teach you this, it's not their fault. So, you know, when you're in hair school, they have to teach you blunt, you know, or they yeah. can teach. Point cut, but you're not really going to understand the degree of the point cut, how deep the point cut, yeah. what, you know, which point cut to use, pull out on, on like a density, right? So you really have to get that with experience. And then it becomes a whole different game because you then you start cutting with texture and, and you are no longer cutting what I call Lego haircuts, which are just shapes. Mm-hmm.
1: You're,
2: you're actually thinking about, where to cut inside of a curl pattern or where to cut weight out to enhance a curl or to to pop a spot. And honestly, and this is something that I tell my apprentices and stuff is, you know, some of the best work is the stuff that looks slightly ugly. Yeah. 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 And and that's a hard concept to kind of wrap your head around. You have to do it very pretty, but then you have to mess it up just enough that it's like a little ugly, but still beautiful.
1: And that's a, that's, that's and a, to balance that that's to where very easy to like, no, trend. to balance that ugly, to make it still attractive. Mm-hmm. That's a very, a very hard. That's a high, a high level skill.
2: Yeah. yeah. Because if you're looking at hairdressing, the ones that are overly perfect are the ones that are hideous on the eye. And that's a, you know, it's tough because when you're learning this industry, you want to do it so perfectly that you think it'll just be beautiful. And that's just not the case, right? Yeah. Because Vidal Sassoon was a great example of this. How many of those haircuts are wearable today? Right? From from his from his heyday, when when it was mm-hmm. like every Vidal Sassoon salon in, in the world was sought mm-hmm. after, right? Like mm-hmm. Yeah, how much of that were we still wearing and it's because we cut very differently we cut with texture and there's a lot more texture in the world when i went to hair school almost everything looked eastern european my first mm-hmm. years of teaching when we picked models it was all european eastern european even mm-hmm. you know and it was like a very specific texture because it matched kind of the same texture as the mannequins that we all learned on <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so it's kind of interesting but
0: I have a quick story that I want to tell because it it kind of relates back to what you were saying about like, like you kind of have to be able to like cut for your client, but the things that are being shown as trends and things like that, like, you know, they they kind of skew your vision. So I remember one of the first times it was very early in my career that I had the opportunity to watch education, but I also got to experience the backstage because I, it was in the very beginnings of working with hair nerds. We had media access. I had backstage access for one of the first times. And I remember watching the stage presentation and just as a side note, I was probably a year out of school. So I was still very young-minded in my mindset of the professional beauty industry. And I was watching this beautiful, inspiring stage presentation. You know, they were leaving bits here and it was all disconnected and it was all these like creative cutting techniques. And I was just so wowed and so inspired. And then you go backstage and you see that they're cutting all that off the model. Everything (laughs) that they just showed you and that you were so inspired by, they're completely getting rid of backstage because it's not wearable. It's not a good look on the model. Is it cool? Is it creative? Is it like give you ideas to think about? Yes, but it's not an everyday look that people can pull off.
2: That's so funny because that is exactly my experience with (laughs) runway. And it, yeah. so I would spend after every platform show, I would spend at least two hours, three hours in the back, just cutting, recutting the models. Mm-hmm. Uh, like from, I mean, they would get like when I was going through, we were doing so many mullet, and and we were just, I would just be like, look, I'll I'll sit back here and just fix anyone, and and I always felt like that was like a thank you to them for doing it, but maybe mm-hmm. there was a lot of trying to make out, you know, like in there, I don't know. <laughs>
0: But I I just like I remember the heartbreak that I felt like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean they're cutting off all this like awesome work? You know, and I think for people that are younger, like they see these like crazy styles and these like awesome creative techniques and everything. And it's like, it's not realistic. You know, it's there to inspire you, but it's not realistic for behind the chair. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good that to that point right there, the what the bulk of our industry can learn is that it's not about us. It's about them. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, that's the worst part about runway or editorial. You're doing it as an art, but share in the salon is not an art. You're providing the service for them. Now you can get so good at this. It becomes art. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the truth of the matter is you the first and last. It's everything. It's the only thing that matters is what they want. And Mm -hmm. like, I was listening to one of your podcasts trying to do a little research before this and like I do and someone was like you know I go through these long consultations and I was like I don't do that yeah like I don't Uh. do that at all like my consultation's this fast what length are we keeping it what length do you want to go to because really at the end of the day that's all they really care about is what length they're at and then the rest they could never know what layers you're putting on them or what Mm -hmm. techniques you're going to use or how you're going to make their hair flow and then the more you sway to that side, the less of a disservice or the more of a disservice you're doing for them. So mm-hmm. like for me, it's not about trying to talk them into something. It's me going, okay, cool. What's the feeling that they want? And I'm going to yeah. try to, I'm going to try to nail that feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to cut somebody if they don't want bangs. I'm not going to cut bangs on them. But like generally speaking, length and bangs are the only two things you really need to know.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's like in in the beginning, I think you need a consultation to figure out what you're doing because yeah. I mean, there there's there's only so many haircuts in my repertoire. So let me figure out what they want and try to fit my repertoire of, my, of haircuts that I have in my mind to this person's head. I've been doing it so long now that I could put it on autopilot, you know, and so mm-hmm. when someone comes in, I just basically say any special requests. Yeah. And if they say no, then I say, OK, and then I just do. I just yeah, do I whatever that. I think. And sometimes I'll say, oh, you know, I'm thinking of growing a little longer. Okay. You know, my bangs are giving me problem. Okay. Then, then I'll figure it out from there. But my consultation is is very short. I've been doing a lot of the same people for a long period of time. They come in and I decide, uh, you know, it's summer. We're going to take it a little shorter. And I don't even tell them. I just do it. And they're like, oh, I'm glad you cut that shorter. It was getting kind of hot. Or yeah. <laughs> or whatever but we've built this camaraderie but in the beginning i need to figure out who they are what they want where they want to go what kind of you know lifestyle they're living so i can modify my approach
2: mm-hmm. yes and i mean you have to ask like how much of that is is like nerves right mm-hmm. it, 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 mm-hmm. really it's delaying it because you're you're trying to go through your mental rolodex of every haircut you can possibly remember which is like sub 10
1: yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing you get with skill is you start to learn techniques matter more than than actual haircuts, right? When mm-hmm. you went through hair school, you really need you really need to learn about ten to twelve wearable looks. And that's where hair school school sort of fails us. Because you really need ten to twelve salon ready looks for this year. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's really difficult for schools to provide because they end up teaching from a Bible, right? Like from, from twelve the basic insights of mm-hmm. of someone someone else, right? Yeah, and and that's the thing. It's like we need to kind of tailor it more towards what the salon is, and not just like if if you ask me, hair schools are totally useless, right? Because, and and I like I know that's gonna sort of sound weird but like it really they're teaching them a different industry go industry absolutely
0: absolutely this is that's part of the reason i like scream from the rooftops go into an assistant program if you went to beauty school get into an assistant program because you have to relearn how the industry is today because school's not teaching you that
2: right well i mean there might be some schools out there doing it but they're few and far between right like Mm -hmm. they're still Schools and the problem is if you're if you are in the outskirts of Richmond, Virginia, where are you going? Where's your school? Where you you're not going to Manhattan to go to hair school? You know what I mean? Like like, all the schools seem to be in the major cities, and it's like, yeah, I've been trying to talk to these these things are these schools forever, not the schools but the brands because I feel like they have the money to fix this. They could put satellite schools in almost every city in this country. How hard would that be? Mm -hmm. Right. They don't have to have massive schools, just small satellites or or just take salons over and make them schools on the weekends. Right. Mm -hmm. There's there's ways to fix this if they wanted to fix. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if anybody's really got the interest in doing that.
1: Yeah, it's going to be pulling teeth. The only way to really fix it is if we as an industry get involved in it and want to take it over. And I'm telling you, a lot of people, they're too tired, they're, they got too much going on, they don't have the energy or the gumption, or what's the benefit for them other than helping mm-hmm. a, a young professional? And I'd rather just mentor someone privately anyway. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's going to be a difficult situation. It's, it would almost be better if we were like the tattoo industry. You go to school, you learn sanitation, sterilization, and, and set up and break down procedure and then everything else you learn from apprenticing a, a tattoo artist, you can yes.
2: do that part in like a week. Hey, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent, absolutely, hundred percent. And then and then get straight into the soul. I, I mean, I I agree with you, Andy. It's like you, you're you're gonna do the best. But this is the problem, right? Is you really have to separate the industry into levels. So there's there's really three levels. Like there's a bottom level, a middle level, which is massive, and then a a small and top, a small top, a small bottom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like everyone's trying to get everybody to the top of the middle. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's a really tricky thing because you have to move people up the ladder with educators that are just above them, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you can't take somebody like me and try to get somebody from the very bottom up. That's really difficult to do from a, from a larger from kind of a more global perspective in the salon that's far easier to do the one-on-one that's free but as an industry it's really hard to move people up those ranks because they only know what they don't know like if you see me cut hairs and you don't you barely know how to cut a line straight you're gonna be like man he's trashing that hair like uh, Mm -hmm. i know like great hairdressers go oh like he's just thinning the hair i'm not thinning at all It's just that you don't understand the technique to know that I'm not trying to thin the hair, the Mm -hmm. hair. I'm trying to make the hair move and that's it. And I'm trying to cut it with their texture. And, but when you see it, you see thinning.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And,
2: And that, but that's, you know, if you don't know, there's no way to know. Like I used to talk to, I worked in a salon once that was unbelievable. Everybody in it was just solid. And, um, and I used to tell people in there, because it used to baffle me that even great hairdressers didn't know the difference between people. And and I kind of got to this theory that like, unless you're at the top, you, you can't tell who else is at the top. Yeah. It, it's impossible. So yeah. that's the thing it's it's kind of on brands like yours to like, kind of illustrate to people where they should be starting their education from and mm-hmm. who they should be starting it from, because you can't start from the bottom with someone like me. You can't start from the middle with someone like me. You you have to already be at the top of the middle to to get that education and be able to start to understand it because it's just too much too fast and yeah. yeah. And so being aware of that is like a huge part of getting good at this industry. It's like knowing mm-hmm. where to go get your information first, and then knowing to quickly pivot away from that information and go find it somewhere else, and then mm-hmm. pivot away that information and go find it somewhere else. Because one, the idea that one brand is the right thing for you for your entire career. It's just insane.
0: Yeah. I I love that breakdown of like, it it is like a ladder and you need to learn from like the person who's just right above you. I feel like that's such a smart way of putting it in a much more understandable way, Mm -hmm. because it is true. Like there is a lot in this industry that people point you in the direction of like, oh, well, they're the biggest and the best, you know, but you're right. They may not be able to comprehend the information that is being given to them and so it can absolutely just fly over their head and i think that's a lot where people start to complain or like oh this wasn't worth the money it it is for the person that it's meant for you know maybe not for the per like it's not for everybody all the time you just may not be at that skill level yet
1: a 10th grader has a lot to teach an eighth grader yeah but they're not going to teach the senior the 12th grader anything Mm -hmm. And very few master's degree educated people are intelligent enough or good enough teachers to be able to teach an eighth grader. They can't dumb down the material enough. Very few can do that.
2: I find it hard for myself, right? Like, you know, the, the farther I get down the road, the harder it is for me to teach the people get straight into the industry. Now, we we no longer take hairdressers from schools because it's just too hard. It's too hard to get them to like forget everything and 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 start again. Yeah. So I find that it's just best to teach them from scratch. And that and that is what it is. But, you know, like I will take somebody from a school if I know that they're 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 on the path to the top. Mm -hmm. You know, usually you can tell that with personality. But like, whereas I'll teach everybody that doesn't go to hair school. I was just, I, like I said, it's a piece of the community. That's what I'm here for. I'm a I'm a child of 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 this, of the same thing that we're all children of. And and I'm I belong to the community. I really believe that. And yeah. that's it. If someone comes into you and asks you to do something. Do it right now. We This is so funny. We have this little <laughs> kid that just strolled into the barber shop. He's like, I want to say this kid is 12.
1: <laughs>
2: he strolled into the barbershop shop. He's got the worst mullet of all, t- <laughs> cut on himself.
1: Which and, means uh, it's pretty great. Kid,
2: <laughs> he's glad it looks like he looks like Theo Von, one of these like comedians, yeah. illustrator. And he comes in, and he just keeps showing up. And so two weeks ago, we gave the kid a broom, and now he's been literally cutting mannequins in our shop for the last week and a half. Wow! Wow! Wow, he's twelve. Still haven't met his parents, so I'm sure somebody's gonna come in and slap. (laughs) But I'm trying to meet his parents. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, obviously, we're not gonna put him to, like real work, right? Kind of like, man, you just—he wandered in. He's part of the community. He wandered in my business. It is my duty to try to change this kid's life. Yeah, yeah. As simple as that, right? Yeah, and like. And and now you have to teach him how to be upscale because you're in an upscale. I mean, he has no idea what barbershop he just rolled into. Yeah, right? like we're not like a barbershop. We're like a, a mm-hmm. high end grooming salon. This shop could change this kid's life forever, and mm-hmm. he has no idea. And yeah. but it's not on him to know. It's on us to like just be arms wide open and ready to help people.
1: Yeah, I, well, it's part I, of paying back. You know, we've all been given the gift of knowledge from someone who's mentored us. So we in turn pay that forward with the next generation that comes up. I'd
0: love to talk a little bit about the apprenticeship that you have, because it's definitely something that I have always been very inspired by, because you are one of the very few salons that I know of. I know there's a ton out there, but who actually have like, real apprenticeships meaning they do not go to cosmetology school you teach them there they get a licensure through the program that you have and you build these people up into incredible stylists
2: yeah it sucks <laughs> i believe it <laughs> um well but this, it's hard it's not easy this is why a lot of you know you can't fault other salons for not doing it because i get one if i i say that the ratio is one in five if i get now i'm i'm high end so you know you might be getting one out of two but still if you're like a small mom and pop shop in a in a local community and one out of two of your employees don't work out man that's not good numbers mm-hmm. right and 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 that's that's tough so you got to be somewhat understanding why more salons don't do this and more shops don't do this but at the same time if you're going to be one of the best it's got to be part of the job mm-hmm. right your your whole deal is to beat the attrition rate so you're going to lose generally speaking one or two people a year you got to be able to put at least three or four on the salon floor if you want to grow and and you're what you're getting is you're trying to create people who understand your culture and what you want to see out of hairdressing Mm -hmm. and so you get to and I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't own a salon unless you have a voice right like let somebody else deal with the headache. There's not enough money in it, right? If there was, like, we'd all live in Maui. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm a exactly. poopers in the pudding yeah. guy. You can't tell mm-hmm. me how much money salon owners make because I've been living in Maui right now with the people, with the amount of money people think I make. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be living in Maui soon, and I deserve it. <laughs> 30 years has been a long time. But no, going back to that, like, a important because you're you're trying to do so many things at once and yeah. you know and then and it's getting more difficult the people are getting more difficult to learn how to teach and that's i think that's the crux of what's going on in the industry is you know, what's the incentive for the owners what's the incentive for the hairdresser that needs to teach in that salon to mm-hmm. teach difficult yeah, you know? yeah. like in the day they were like so receptive and it's like so This kind of on everybody it's on the apprentices too they were le- less difficult and they well and it's on us too because we're not explaining the process to them right It's you come into a salon and the first thing you have to do is you have to learn to be a functioning member of the salon and do all the stuff that no one else wants to do yeah but the thing is you should only be doing that for about a year and then you will directly benefit from that scenario for the rest of your career. It is a very small price to pay, right? Because then you go out and you hit the floor, and you're not shampooing anymore. You're not you're not washing towels. You're not folding towels. You're not washing bathrooms. Other apprentices are doing that, right? And that's what allows you to have apprenticeship programs, and said those people are taking on work that you would have to hire. People to do,
1: Uh
2: right, and so people kind of all have to understand that everyone has to win the deal. You can't not 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 just the owner and not just the apprentice. Everyone has to win the deal equally, and it has to kind of suck for everybody.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) totally. Yeah, at the same time. So, what do you think is making it more difficult? Is it their lack of attention span? Is it their impatience that they want it now, now, now? Or where do think you think the difficulty is? I think I'm it's,
2: it's no noise. It's noise.
1: So when you go on the internet, you hear every bad piece
2: of thought imaginable. Like, it's just a matter of time before that becomes reality, right? Because let's be honest, the best of the bets are not sitting on there telling you how to like, just put it this way. I, I won't even go down that road. Like, just if people are talking to you in memes, they don't know what they're talking about. Or they're, it's so surface, yeah. right? Yeah. If you... Like, one of the reasons I stopped having guests on my podcast was because I got tired of like, I would bring people on and they had one thought. And then it was like, I can't talk about one thing for an hour. It's just not built. I'm not built like that. So for me, I was like, okay, but you haven't thought to the next step, the next step, the next step, or reverse engineered that, or thought about it from like the bottom, the base level, the middle level, the top level, because all of these things you know, I can give you a piece of advice, but it may not work at the bottom. It may be mediocre in the middle, but it may be perfect at the top. Right. And, and, you know, that's just how it works. And that's what you learn with time. So I think it's noise. I think it's just too many people, everyone who has no experience, like we're literally, we should just put a cap on like, if you haven't devoted your life to this thing for 15 years, you probably just shouldn't say anything yet.
1: <laughs> a good 15 years, not a like a one knowledge. year done 15 times. Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't you know, that's kind
2: of not, like, nice. I'm not like known for saying the nicest things in the world, but like, you know, ultimately I do feel like if I go on the floor today, yeah. right. six months. I'm probably one of the best things possible for the next apprentice. Right, I'm I'm right. probably almost more effective than their than their instructor at that point. Yeah, right. Because what I'll do is I'll train people from the beginning, and then I'll go hit them a year later after they've had some experience. Well, that's a different training now. And same person, different training. Yeah, right. It's now they're more attentive, they're more focused, they understand themselves, the ego's kind of in check a little bit better. Because mm-hmm. the biggest problem with not knowing what you're doing is that you have to pretend like you know what you're doing. And that's really hard to instruct through. When first go, bro, you don't know, it's not possible for you to know what you're doing. And it's Mm -hmm. okay, right? But the ego doesn't allow you to do that. It just doesn't allow you to do that. So kids, like, they don't want to listen because they think they got it. They don't want you to come over and show them because they think they got it. And it's like, it's not possible for you to have it yet. Mm -hmm. Just relax, let it happen. No Mm -hmm. one's here to like, Hurt your feeling, but, but you do, you know, this is where education was easier in the back. And like 20 years ago was because people could be harder on you. Yeah. Oh, was, yeah. It was better for you. Yeah. You no, know, because it yeah. got you to the next step. Like there yeah. used to be nothing better for, for me as an instructor to just be like, no, do this until it, you get it. Don't even think about something else. Like I used to make people like, do one technique for for nine hours straight in the salon you know and then they would they would inevitably break down and cry at the end of the day and then (laughs) i would deal with like two stylists taking me out and being like just be a little easier on them and i'm like you you might want me to be easier on them but you don't want me to be easier on them yeah because to be mediocre and they don't want to be mediocre
1: yeah
2: no I'm from from a bottom if I'm an apprentice hitting the floor, I want you to be as hard on me as possible because that means you care. If you're just coming over and telling me what I want to hear, then it means you don't love me very much. Yeah. And you can apply that to every single person in your life. If you're only talking sweetness, you're not valuable to the to most people.
1: Yeah. Well, when I was doing a lot of training for that corporate company I was working for, I would go up to the the apprentices and I'd be like how hard do you want me to be on you? One, two, or three? Three is the hardest. One is the easiest. Where do you want me to be? That's and when, funny. I do ask that
2: question.
1: Ever, any one of them would said three. I want. I want you to be honest and upfront. And I'm like, okay, this person is going to go somewhere because yep. they'll listen. Yes. And you know, the hardest ones for me to train were the ones that had eight, nine, you know, ten years of experience. That come in, they have to go through the apprenticeship. So I'm like, hey, look, we're just going to make it easy on you as you can. And they were so brick walled and unreceptive that if I look at at education as a level from a one as I'm just starting to 10 is like a PhD And, and they're probably at a three or a four, but they're so brick walled that they can't learn anything. I would find that I would have to take it up to PhD level to where their head was swimming that they didn't know what the hell I was talking about and was completely confused and then they would open up and say, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Now I can reach them. So there's mm-hmm. uh, there's difficulties in, in every level along the way of training somebody new.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you have to take that case by case. Some yeah. people you break yes. down and it works. And then some people you break them down and it's over. Absolutely. That's true.
0: I love that we're talking about this because so recently with the assistant program that I run at my salon or it's not my salon, but the salon I work at. I built the assistant program myself and I am the one who executes it and make sure everybody's doing what they need to and and the assistants are getting what they need. Our newest assistant that we have right now, I love her to death. She, in one of her one-on-ones that we did, she was like, I just like, I, I like, you could tell that she was just really frustrated with herself, but then she kind of like got it out of her system and she was like, thank you so much for being hard on me. Thank you for doing that. Like she knows, like she knows that, that us being hard on her is because we care about her. We care about her success and her future and the fact that she's going to thrive and the fact that she was able to, cause she's very young, but the fact that she was able to take herself out of the emotional element of it and look at it from the point of view that like we are there in full support of her. Like we are wanting, like, When she has a class, like, so the way we have it set up is that she has a hands-on class every week, and then she does models of that thing that she just learned. And she has to do models and models and models. And there's a lot of models in the process, whether they're doll heads or people off the street or whatever it is. And there was one day we were teaching her, Bob, we made her do that, Bob, every, over and over and over again, all day long until she left. And when she left, she was so mad. But you know what? She can execute now. At that base mm-hmm. level and provide that service to a better ability than she could before that class started. And I just I am so grateful that she's able to be receptive because, like you said, Kelly, it really is a numbers game sometimes with these people coming in who were training. And out of four people that we have hired into the assistant program, two so far have been very successful. It's 50%. Not everyone. Yeah is going to be able to be successful in these types of programs. Not everyone is going to be able to make it through, but the people that can show up and understand that we are there supporting them to the best of our abilities to push them through, these these are the people that are rising to success. Those are the people that are going to be on that high end of medium, like you were talking about.
2: That's great. And you got to let them go, right? Like, so if I feel like they're not upscale material, I just tell them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Look, at the end of the day, you should hate your instructor during, you know, you should like, you should really dislike them because it should be that hard. Yeah. Right. Telling you a lot Mm -hmm. of information that seems simple, that is not easy to, to produce, but because here's the deal, like what's worse, you're going to hit the floor and you're not going to know what to do. And then you're Mm going to be standing behind somebody and not knowing what to do. And, and that's just not something for me I want to live with. I want them to. To be comfortable, and and yeah. when they hit the floor, because what am I doing, right? If they're not comfortable, exactly. they what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And and honestly, you can't. I, I try to be as nice as I can, but they don't learn. It's good. They don't yeah. learn it. Yeah. Know? And, and and you know, and I have a do, but I do believe it costs nothing to be kind. So I'm always kind, but I, I'm I'm hard. I'm I'm definitely hard on them. Because I want them to be better than they think they can be. And, and that's a big ass to the ego.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now,
2: the real truth is, why as an industry are we not educated them about how to do that? It's too much talk about where to go and not enough talk about how to act as an apprentice. Right? Like, mm-hmm. yes. And you to start beating it in, in their head to understand it's a short time. You won't even, I'm 40, mm-hmm. I don't even know how long, 45 I've been since so I was seventeen professionally, okay now, if I could go back because i I was the worst person ever as an employee at that age, <laughs> you know, but like if I could go back because I was in such a rush, it's like, man, it is a blip in the in the long term. I wish I would have punished longer and not pushed so hard to get out of it mm-hmm. but it time you can't think like that you're so especially if you're ambitious you're so i, I was in such a rush to ha- to get my own life under my own control you know and it's like yeah you, some of this you can you can try to educate people to to be better and some of it is you you know it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult and it's gonna be hard for kids to Absolutely. learn because yeah. is, it's children you know it's children yeah. like yeah, the, a lot of older people also were getting into it at the same time, but those days seem to be gone. I, I don't know if I see that anymore. I'm, honestly, I don't know what y'all are seeing. Not yeah. a lot of people getting into the industry to begin with anymore. And, and so then you have to go, well, why is that? What, what are we doing that's, that's pushing people away? Because mm-hmm. it, it, it's the talk, maybe. Like maybe, like, like I, I think of when I watch people in our industry on masse kind of talk down about the guest and like you know mm-hmm. when I can't even follow hairdressers on on online because it's hard for me to hear it right like oh it's always like the guests didn't know how to say well of course they don't they don't do what you do 20 hours a day mm-hmm. of course they don't know how this salon works of mm-hmm. course they don't know the process of course they don't know what that or of course they don't know what you're doing yeah right like well mm-hmm. What is it that we think as an industry is okay to then go crap on them for it? Like, and and it's like if you're talented, that's probably not going to matter. You can crap on your guests; they'll keep coming back. Or Mm -hmm. if you're if you're good with people, you don't have to be great at hairdressing; they'll keep coming back. But the truth of the matter is, what message does that send to the people who are mediocre at best? Yeah, yeah, right. And so you're kind of. Eating the entire industry from the bottom up, and 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 we're like all sitting back watching and letting it happen. Like there's no big, and we're all like, I mean, I don't take any part in it, and I I I, I unfuck the second someone if a local business, which I don't know about where he, where y'all, <laughs> but like uh, you know, I live in a town where like they love to the shit on the gas, and yeah. I like there's a burner joint that that like. Their whole Instagram here—it's about like making fun of the guests. Oh, jeez! <laughs> and it's like, like I don't. These kids, these people are putting your children through school, and you're making fun of them. Yeah, and there's just. And what are we doing? It we're like the salon is a a little village inside of yeah. a big unity. Absolutely. What, what are we doing? Like, what, there's nothing about this that seems appropriate to me. But how do you change that is always the question. And that's the bit that I don't know. I, I, I feel like I see what's wrong, but I don't know how to change it, you know, and yeah. and I may partake in it, but like, I just don't know how to change it other than being, like I said, it's all going to be local because we're to now we're all we think about is this global perspective. Mm-hmm. But if we have a global perspective and then funnel that down to the local village, right, we're all losing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you you gotta bring the attention back to like the village first, which would in my case is the business, right? Like I don't look at these as businesses. We're all here to like pool our resources to make sure that we're all we all do better together, right? Absolutely. And, and then what are we doing from there? We're all we're doing is providing services for the local community, so we don't have to go forage for food eight hours a day. If There's <laughs> really nothing past that. Yeah, and and that's where you should start. And, and apprenticeship models are the best way to do that, in my I opinion. Agree. I you agree. You set the
1: tone from the very beginning and, and they follow through on the tone. Mm-hmm. So okay. I like that.
0: I think it's part of the reason that that Russell and I do this podcast, you know, and that I, Aaron and I have the Scissor and Moth Social Academy and those kinds of things because we do see so much of that. And we want to give these like students and new professionals a good, positive, Experience and information on how that they can best like prepare themselves for the industry. And for me, it's like, again, h- how do you change the narrative? And so for me, it's like, if this is what I can do to try my best to get good information out to them, put positive people in front of them, and give them a realistic idea of how to get through those first five years. Then, you know, I'm, I'm going to try my best and, and hope for the best and,
2: you and know, buckle up. It's yeah. not going to be. Journey, no, you know? like not. You know, nothing about this is easy. This is no. the hard. Of, like I grew up paving driveways and, and and roads, and then I went into food, like in my later teenage years, and then I went into hairdressing at seventeen. Right, like there is, not, and I know every. I literally just left the wood shop. I was building a piece of furniture. Right, like I know how to do almost everything imaginable. Okay, mm-hmm. like I. There is not ever been an industry that is as difficult as this one to get into or to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, there is nothing worse than having to produce a product on someone while they're watching you, judging you. Yes. <laughs> so yes. first, you made it past five years in this industry, you know, take a little credit, give yourself a pat on the back. It's great. Right? And then go turn around and try to help the next person get through those first five years because, man, they are brutal. They are mm-hmm. brutal. You don't really know what you're doing until year seven. And I don't care what anybody says. So, you know, and then you don't really gain crazy confidence until probably year 15. And and then, it, and then it's light bulb. Then it's EV, and I don't care who you are. Like they did a study of like the 10,000 hour rule, basically, and then the bit, the easiest way for them to do this is with composers, right? But you go back and you look at every composer in history. And then you look at the Phenon composers like Bach and Beethoven and Mozart. They all break in year like eight or nine, right? Everyone else breaks one year later. One, wow. You're talking about the difference between Phenon and everyone else is one single year of, of experience so just like stick to the game because you'll get there and mm-hmm. it but it won't be easy that's the thing yeah. is we get into hairdressing thinking and i did too thinking this is going to be a piece of cake it's air conditioned which is super nice you're just <laughs> kind of like you just kind of like For telling sure. jokes all day you're not yeah. digging a ditch <laughs>
1: yes <Yeah. laughs>
2: you no know, and, and then you get on the floor and it's hard and and it's difficult and, Learning to stand on your your feet for this many hours at a time is difficult, and mm-hmm. it's just where apprenticeship is important. Because I didn't, I haven't blown dry. I well, I mean, recently, I kind of do hair for fun now, but the last probably fifteen years of my career, I don't blow dry people's hair. You know, like I didn't. Sh- I never. Sh- I haven't shampooed someone since I was in my teens. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yes, but I paid a price for that. I taught yeah. the, I mean, mm-hmm. the whole way. I mean, I taught the whole way. So I've paid a price for it. And now I also think that it's, how do you get people to instruct for people whose businesses are not theirs, right? That's a mm-hmm. very difficult ask, right? Abs- so absolutely. Creating, because there's only like so many of you, Annie. I, right, because like, I've had big songs, really almost impossible for me to talk, to talk people into teaching, you know? and And, and even to come in because, you're never going to get great unless you teach. Yeah. It's just, it's not possible because you're never going to think about hairdressing like you would if you had to explain it to somebody over the phone.
0: hmm
2: Right? And and that's mm-hmm. just it. Because you're not, you're not, if you can't tell someone how to do this, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's not saying that you can't be good at it. You can't make a living at it. Or that you're, you know, I, I. I mean, I think you're probably good. But you can't be great unless you can teach it to someone else. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just true. Yeah. Absolutely. Because
1: yeah. they'll see it in different ways, and they'll ask you questions that you'll think, "Well, oh, I never thought about that. Let me think that through. And so I can, it, it makes yeah, you deeper. Awesome. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, like, if you think about it from, like, when you were teaching when you were younger, right, I look back and I'm so embarrassed at the stuff I've said Right. Because one of the things you just don't know what you don't know. So when, when you get to year 18 and and all of your hairdressing changes, you know, and then you go, oh, dang. But the thing is, you do have to understand that you are able to help people then get to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I was more effective when I wasn't as good. So it's a weird this thing is weird. And like no one have a handle on it. I don't care what they say. Nobody's got a handle on it. And then you're just trying to figure out what type of hairdresser they want to be because Mm -hmm. that whole education needs to change. Right. Just like you can't like my program changes with every single, with every single apprentice. Yeah. Like I I don't have like a program. So it it all changes and it, and the haircuts change and the way I teach change. And sometimes I teach in ways where I go, yeah, that was a failure. Like I, I spent, I changed in the my last go-round i changed i took something out that i'd always had in to to try to like accommodate for this new type of stylist apprentice and then that piece was a a big part of the myths of the program and they weren't as good when they got to the end and and so now I've switched and put it back in and I'm making these guys do this thing they should have done early mm-hmm. or
1: before,
2: before I put them on the floor. And, and, and it's like I was trying to accommodate this new type of stylus, and it was a, an utter failure. But that failure is on me. But all I can do is correct it. But they can't go on the floor until it's corrected. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. So you have to care about them enough to go, I messed up. It's my fault. Let's che- let's go back. Let's address this a different way. And absolutely get you there. Great point. was mm-hmm. hard. Even with my ego. That was hard.
1: <laughs> That's great. I think that we've covered a tremendous amount of information here in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And, you know, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on and sharing and, and, and being open and, and honest. And, and we really appreciate that. And we hope that this hits the right person that needs to hear all this. So please check out Kelly's podcast. It's your day off, right? No, no? okay, no. Your, day off. Oh your day off. Oh my god!
2: No idea what my podcast is called. Hair uncut. Hair uncut. Yeah, I. I so know funny. it. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, you. It's like I try to put all the information out there, but for me, like that was the information I had. And it's yeah, out and maybe I'll I'll address some things in a couple of years and and then we'll do it again. But I I don't know that I'm not the type of person to like fix something all the way out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Sounds great. So please give us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast hosts. We're on on everything. We're on everything. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time. Drop us a DM what you'd like to hear in the future. And we'll go from there. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye.